Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. This Psalm 79, verses 1 through 9, if you're following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on page 470. Psalm 79, 1 through 9. Listen to the word of God. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealous wrath burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us the iniquities of our ancestors. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. I suppose the date is a little bit arbitrary, but 1993 is the date given to the start of the modern worship wars. American Protestants declared war on each other in the 1990s over worship style. Contemporary music, what is often called praise music, squared off against the ancient hymns. Praise bands challenged choirs. And many churches adapted to it. Uh, Some had two services, one of each style that continued to flourish. Some uh, blended those styles and it worked for them. Many, many ended up splitting over that, including this church. Two visions of church that just weren't compatible for long. But praise services and praise music became uh, new parts of the lexicon for Christian liturgy, new phrases in the conversation. And why not? I mean, who doesn't like praise? And we're instructed to offer our praises unto God. And we want Sunday to be cheerful, don't we? We want to feel good when we leave church. But it does not capture all of the human experience, does it? Today I'm preaching from one of the Psalms. As you know, 
The Psalms is the largest book in the Bible, the largest collection in the Bible, 150 poems, songs. But we hardly ever acknowledge that nearly a third of them are lament. They are psalms of grief and sorrow. Nearly a third. What are we to do with that? Have you ever seen a church sign that said, uh, traditional service at 11 o'clock, our lament and worship at 9.30? I mean, it's just not very popular, is it? But our faith matters in all experiences of life, right? Christian maturity isn't about manufacturing some kind of beauty pageant, smile and wave, and convincing everybody that we're just happy in Jesus all the time. Our ancestors said no to that. The Hebrews did give us praise psalms because sometimes it is right to just throw up our hands, offer our praise, and count off the blessings of our inheritance. But they also gave us psalms so that we could bring our sorrow into worship too. So listener beware, today's sermon is a little bit heavy. Today's psalm is a national lament, a grief song for the nation. And today's sermon is a week late. Here's what I mean. Because the missionaries were with us last week, it's what arranged around their schedule, and we had the two missionaries with us. We spent the day last Sunday uh, giving thanks for their good work and praising the work of, and ministry of the missionaries. But last Sunday was the 21st anniversary of 9-11, and it was our occasion for national lament. Never forget, we say. Never forget should never be a cry to raise our fist, but a rally cry to raise our prayers through lament. 21 years ago, 2,996 people lost their lives. More than 6,000 people were injured in the attacks. But it's not just the atrocities of 21 years ago that calls us to lament. Every reading of the newspaper, every close look at our own betrayal is an invitation to read the Psalms. This morning, I held off on this part of the sermon until this morning, I went online and looked Five people reported shot last night in our city. Lament is everywhere. And for some of you, grief has hit home. Diagnosis, death, ultimatum, downsizing, breakup, violation, trauma. If we can only come to church for praise and worship, it won't teach us how to operate in faith when the world is in turbulence. Our ancestors in the faith knew this. 
And they offered their passionate expression of grief and sorrow as a part of worship. They lamented. And our scripture for today is an example of how they would do that in corporate worship. For the Israelites, the destruction of Jerusalem and the desecration of the temple was their 9-11. In 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and his armies invaded Jerusalem, wiped everything out, destroyed the temple, put it in ruins. After his 30-month siege of the city was over, the Israelites, many of them, were forced to leave as exiles, and they were pushed out of the city even before they could care for the dead who were part of that atrocity. Carnage, death, destruction, fear, exile, and still, and still, they wanted to include this, this memory as a part of their worship. It's hard to hear. But this passage helped them remember that horrible destruction and bring it into corporate worship. God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food. The flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water, all Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. It's horrible. Horrible. But they brought their grief and remembrance into worship. But as hard as the lament is, the sorrow poured out about the evil done to them, the psalm takes an even more painful turn as though this sermon hadn't been bleak enough. No kidding, it gets worse. Because the pronouns change from they to we, the psalm becomes a lament about the ways we have contributed to God's wrath. It's one thing to talk about the violence that's been done to the nation, the pain that others have inflicted on us. It's quite another thing to admit, face up to the pain we have inflicted on ourselves. Do not remember against us the iniquities of our ancestors. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins. The psalmist asked for the nation to be forgiven. Does that feel a little bit weird to you? I mean, we're used to confessing our sins, and, and right? It's a little bit strange to ask for a national lament, to forgive a, a nation. But I had to sit in the study this week and grapple over whether or not our nation needs forgiving. Now, let me first say, I love our country. I believe we live in the best country in all the world. But our land is also a mess. 
Lament is in order. I mean, there are outside forces like wars in other countries that affect us and all, but a lot of our pain is self-inflicted, and we need lament. The psalmist said, help us, O God, of our salvation. So I tried to imagine what the list would look like. I made a partial list. My partial list is not going to look like yours. I'm not going to get it just right for you. But I made a partial list. I hope you'll make your own. Forgive us for political loyalties that stand taller than truth-telling. Forgive us for the ways we use race to score points rather than win friendships. Forgive us for our failure to protect the powerless and the innocent who have no voice for their own protection. Forgive us for partisan stances that surely support the party and may or may not support the common good. Forgive us for the ways we vilify people with whom we disagree. Forgive us for the ways we nitpick every politician on one side of the aisle while failing to hold accountable those on my side of the aisle. Forgive us for our inability to mourn as a country without placing blame and our inability to celebrate without fist pumping and winning points for the team. Forgive us for hungry children in a breadbasket of abundance. Forgive us for loving consumption more than righteousness. Forgive us for turning our backs on what is wholesome in favor of embracing what is popular. Forgive us for reposting on social media anything that intends to divide or score points. Forgive us for seeing potential voters, potential customers, potential conquests, potential threats, potential investors, potential converts, instead of children made in the image of God. Help us, O God of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and forgive our sins. Okay, I'm ready to take your criticism. My list didn't include your favorite national sin, most likely, which only makes the point. The other critique is that you all didn't get up this morning and get the kids dressed to come to have somebody else tell you how you, we, our beloved country doesn't measure up. Well, I hope to goodness that's not what you take away from this sermon. It is certainly not the message I want to send. But I do want to say this. Our Hebrew ancestors demonstrated a commitment to God that is rare today. They first saw their highest allegiance as a covenant to God's high moral code. Their identity was in their covenant with God. 
And the flag of nationalism or party loyalty would never fly higher than the commitments of their faith. So it was a regular part of worship. Lament psalms that would pull them back to the center. It was confession, realignment, a reminder that our righteousness and loyalty to God must be our center, our true north. Any other loyalties must get in line. Any other affiliations must take a back seat to God's claim on our lives. The other function of the psalm is to defend God's integrity. What's at stake here is God's name. It's a reminder that God and God alone is our help and our salvation. The only way out of our national sin, the only way out of our individual transgression is to lean on the compassion of the God who made us and there we will find our salvation. Let your compassion come speedily to us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation. This past week, in the last seven days, I have sat with a woman whose husband is leaving her. I led a memorial service for a family that will have an empty chair at Thanksgiving from now on. I held hands around a hospice bed. We cried and we prayed. We appealed for God's comfort and presence. You and I both know that singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, does not capture the fullness of life's experience. Sometimes life brings us low and it is fine, it is just fine to bring that into worship too. Sometimes, as the psalm laments, we are victims. Our sorrow is something that was done to us. Jerusalem seized, or 9-11, or personal violation, or trauma. Lament gives us a way to bring those experiences into worship, into the presence of God, and pray around them. Sometimes, the psalm laments are about our own transgressions. At a national level, as we've said, we too often give more weight to our political conviction than our Christian commitment. We turn a blind eye to lies told or laws broken if our party is favored by it. We have disregarded common sense and the common good in favor of spin. And news outlets major on telling us who we should hate while telling us that the other side is sowing discord. Help us, O God, of our salvation. At the personal level, we have excused or ignored our own transgression. Everybody does it. Only God doesn't grade on the curve. 
Our personal betrayals erode our souls. And, and by the way, we are all carrying a big old load of them. Where do we take our corporate pain and our individual sorrow if not in here? Second Ponce is not going to dilute our worship to allow for only happy clapping people. We will take our cues from the book we honor as our guide and allow the fullness of life to enter into this space wherever you happen to be at the time. Yes, we will come, offer our praise to God, but praise is not all that the open dialogue permits. God can handle our despair and our rage and our confession and our confusion. All of life experience is welcome in the presence of God. And so 150 psalms and a third of them lament. They teach us how to confess, how to seek God's compassion. They give us permission for open dialogue with God when we don't feel like praising. And they remind us that God is near even when we are at our most broken. But ultimately, ultimately lament psalms are songs of hope because they remind us that God's compassion is nearby and in ample supply, even on our worst days. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.